Cause we got the alternative energy nuclear free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hi, my name is Greg Rolls On this week's show we're looking at Swan Island The secretive Australian military training base Just one hour out of Melbourne It's been the training ground for elite Australian military units Who deploy to Iraq and Afghanistan Swan Island is the alleged home of Special Air Service Regiment 4 Squadron, a top-secret unit that works under the direct command of the U.S. Joint Special Operations Command, which has been accused of war crimes, collateral murder and torture in the last 15 years of global warfare. Since 2010, activists have been going down to Swan Island to shine a light on this place, even putting their bodies on the line to disrupt it. And I got to talk to Jess and Simon, who helped start the Swan Island Peace Convergence. Later, we'll also hear from Sam, who's been going to the Peace Convergence for several years. This is part one of a two-part show, and I started by asking how Simon and Jess, how they got into anti-war activism. I think for me, I was was originally working as a social worker and meeting lots of um, victims of war, which got me thinking about militarism on two levels. One is the horrific human cost about what it means for our armies to be working overseas. But um, when you're working in social work, you're aware how few resources there are. And it was such a stark reminder that um, that we don't spend nearly as enough on our social services and community. And uh, we spend a crap load on the military. So I think that both of those things were an impetus for me to begin the journey of being involved. So you were really driven by the poverty you saw around you in Australian society, in the working class Australia within our society? Well, I think I was driven by the fact that we were fighting for resources for the communities to have enough um, and watching the military budget continue to skyrocket. But also the human costs. Like I met with lots of women from Iraq and Afghanistan and hearing the stories about what they had been experiencing and what they wanted to happen as a result. Of oppression, because at that point we hadn't invaded as yet. So it was uh, beginning to understand what the, what they think should happen in their countries. Simon, why did you get into the anti-war movement? Yeah, I guess I'm one of those strange people who got into it through theology. So I'm a Baptist minister by trade, and uh, it was during my training that I discovered, um, uh, bizarrely enough, that Jesus uh, was a, a nonviolent activist in many ways. And so it was inspired really by that and by lots of the people through history who had followed him faithfully that I began to uh, get involved in nonviolence myself. And that leads fairly inevitably to opposing war um, with, uh, with your life. Sam is a musician who has been to the Swan Island Peace Convergence four times. I asked him why he got into peace protesting and why he keeps going back. Part of it's just who I was around in my life. Uh, the conviction they showed and kind of the, the depth of commitment they have to the anti-war movement. Um, I just happened to know them through the circles I move in in life and love what they were doing, came along one time and it stuck. Uh, and then I, I sort of probably developed my own reasons for uh, being in the movement after that those first few times. And I just realized how important um, how important peace is, you know, how destructive war is more to the point. I mean, I started understanding war as this thing that kind of keeps a few people in the world privileged and protected, myself included, um, at the expense of, like, the vast majority of the human population. Um, you know, it's, it's not always directly declared wars on countries that, you know, it's also economic injustices and all the rest of it. But the war side of it, it it's just, 
Um, yeah, it's, it's horrific and kind of nonsensical when you step back even a little bit to look at it. And uh, particularly the country that, that I vote in and pay taxes in uh, is like in these other countries declaring war. And the more I've kind of read up on it, the more I see that Australia just doesn't need to be involved. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's not really an option to sort of be okay. You know, me and a lot of the other Swan Island Peace Convergence people also had ancestors in the war. Perhaps the difference in how we see it is what we're just kind of angry that they found themselves in that situation at the mercy of the powers that be, you know, kind of pawns in a bigger game, so to speak, whereas maybe someone who's more pro-militarism and anti-Swan Island Peace Convergence protester, uh, that sort of position, would see their own ancestors as, you know, doing this heroic thing and actually sacrificing themselves for a distinct purpose that was actually successful and results in a better land today. I'm not sure I believe that quite as much as... As most Australians, you well, know, I mean, it's that's, certainly that's bravery. Why you're at the gates so. of Swan Island, isn't it? Well, that's it. Yeah, that's why I'm there, and, and maybe some other people are not there. Uh, it was certainly sacrifice, but I, I don't. I think it was much more senseless waste than sacrifice. You know, our ancestors who tragically died. When when did you guys start looking at the anti-war movement, Simon? Yeah, I was there. I was there in 2003, but I didn't really um, think beyond the kind of marches. I suppose um, it just wasn't part of the toolkit for me until uh, I'd done a bit more study and uh, discovered, you know, Dr. King, uh, civil rights movement and uh, so many others throughout history had used um, to actually get in the way of injustice. And uh, it was in 2007, really, that um, 2006, 2007, that I began to be more active in actually putting my body in places that it was inconvenient for the state to have it. Yeah, I remember the the vigils and the marches in... 2011, just straight after the bombing of the Trade Centre. And it wasn't until 2005 when somebody suggested that there was so much more that we could be doing that I started to look at non-violent direct action. And how did you two, I'm, I'm guessing you might have met at some of these protests, but how did you two meet and decide to start working together? Well, that's a good question. I, I think it might have been actually at a conference <laughs> where I was running a, a non-violence session and uh, Jess uh, actually approached me because she was uh, on her way back, I think, from Pine Gap at the time uh, after um, a, a really significant um, action up there that a group called Christians Against All Terrorism did um, in actually getting into the Pine Gap base and disrupting it for a period of time. So um, we got to talking after that, and uh, the first thing I think we did together was the uh, 2006 um, G20. G20 gatherings, mm. yeah, which was a, a really significant uh, event for, for particularly the Christian group that was emerging at the time. Yeah, it, it was a really fantastic little um, connection, really, because I'd I'd kind of jumped into starting to do some nonviolent direct action stuff, and Simon had, had done a whole lot of thinking, but not necessarily acting, and I hadn't done a whole lot of reflection about the theoretical, theological kind of stuff. So it was a kind of nice mix of the thinker and the doer, which has kind of I think re- been reflected in lots of our work together since then. Mm. Great. And and when did you start looking at Swan Island specifically? It would have been around 2009, I think, end of 2009. So we, we were aware of, um, I guess, the escalation of the war in Afghanistan, recognising that at that time um, what they... The focus, I suppose, had gone off the Iraq war and, and was very much on uh, escalating the war in Afghanistan. And we uh, were wanting to turn our, our attention to that and particularly aware of the surge that that um, Obama was preparing for at that time. And so we 
Uh, we wanted to, I guess, have a corresponding surge for peace, if you like, and particularly mm-hmm. in our efforts, and inspired very much by the, the uh, radical priest Daniel Berrigan, who a quote that was particularly significant for me at the time was he talks about how having assumed the name of peacemakers but having been by and large unwilling to pay any significant price for it and so he says and because we want the peace with half a heart and half a life and will the war of course continues because uh, by its nature the waging of war is total but the waging of peace is partial and so we were challenged I suppose by this idea that um, that soldiers are prepared to put their whole lives and their whole uh, bodies and, and everything on the line. And so we had to ask ourselves, were we willing in a similar way to, to do the same thing for peace? Yeah, and we'd been travelling interstate. There's um, a massive biannual training exercise with Australian and US troops called Talisman Sabre. And we'd been up there a couple of times, which had been some really powerful demonstrations of, of direct action. But it was a long way away. And so we asked the question about, well, where does the war come close in terms of our homes in the state of Victoria? So, And we started to throw around some ideas. You know, was it Puckapunyal? Was it um, the military base Victoria Barracks in, in the city? Was it their offices in the CBD of Melbourne? And talking to a good friend of ours who knows a bit, they encouraged us to look at Swan Island as a really significant contribution. And so we... We started to look at Swan Island and was a bit shocked about the base and what it does and how invisible it had been. Okay, so what does happen on Swan Island? And you said it's connected to the war in Afghanistan. I guess that that was one of the uh, first shocking discoveries, really, was that um, this is a place that trains uh, the SAS, which is, uh, I guess, the the tip of the spear, if you like. They're the, the, um, the ones who are doing... Uh, carrying most of the combat load in terms of both Iraq and Afghanistan and, and pretty much anywhere, even uh, as we've since discovered uh, places in Africa and other places around the world where they're not acknowledged to be. Um, and the SAS stands for the Special Air Service? Special Air Service, yeah. So they're the elite troops uh, who tend to get sent in first um, and they'll often be doing reconnaissance, but they're also doing, particularly in places like Afghanistan, capture and kill missions. So they're the ones doing night raids and terrifying uh, villages around the country. Um, so that was a, a huge, obviously, concern that this was going on in our very own backyard and, and so we wanted to do something about it. But in the context of the post-9-11 world, isn't capturing and killing all those evil terrorists exactly what we want our troops to be doing? I think part of the problem with uh, with going about it the way they have, um, in particularly uh, it's, it's difficult to get the kind of intelligence where you are certain of the people whose house you're bursting into, um, given the nature of grudges and various things, particularly in some of these rural villages, they can be sent on all sorts of missions. And, and what, it, what it ends up doing is creating a whole lot more terrorists because... Um, you're often killing people or dragging them out of their homes and particularly in a culture where there's great uh, concern around honour and shame, having women and children and th- dragged out of, of houses uh, actually um, creates far more terrorists than, uh, than you can ever kill, even if that was a, a strategy that uh, we thought would be a, a useful one, which personally I, I think it's actually a counterproductive move. Um, but even if it was, uh, what we're actually doing is creating far more terrorists than we could uh, ever knock off. Oh, and even more fundamentally, like we believe in the rule of law in Australia. We believe that if somebody is, you know, guilty of a crime, then they go to court and they get tried. We don't, in any of our places here in Australia, do we believe that 
that people have the authority to take justice into their own hands. And that's exactly what we're doing throughout these countries, many of which we don't haven't declared war on and we're not in a declared kind of war situation in terms of of troops on troops. I mean, we're talking about our troops going into residential areas and breaking into people's homes or sometimes bombing people's wedding parties. Like, we're talking about we're going into them. Um, and this isn't kind of, you know, this isn't a war a war situation where people are declared combatants. Like, there's an incredibly frightening move into extrajudicial killings and the, the Special Air Service are the front line of that. Are you saying that on Swan Island they're training to go and conduct these kind of operations and killing innocent civilians? Is that possibly what's going on down there? Uh, for sure. I mean, I think that's that's part of their preparation and training. Um, and certainly, uh, given our own experiences uh, more recently uh, with the incursion in was it, 2014. You're listening to The Radioactive Show. We've been talking to three peace activists, Simon, Jess and Sam, asking why they got into peace activism and why they focused on Swan Island. In 2014, I was with Sam when we were assaulted by Plain Code's men on Swan Island. He tells us more about it now. And a trigger warning, Sam's story contains threats of sexual violence. Um, so I had first-hand experience. Uh, me, me and three friends had first-hand experience of the actual Special Forces um, and what they can do to people. And long story short, it, uh, it wasn't pretty. It amounted to assault. Um, there was some, some, yeah, really alarming, um, especially considering it happened to Australian citizens on Australian soil, no less. Uh, some alarming things had happened to us. So, you know, we were hooded and interrogated and dragged around and stripped and threatened with rape and drowning. That, that was kind of, <laughs> in a nutshell, that's, that's what happened to us. Um, By members of the Australian military. That's right, that's right. Um, so at, at some level, ADF, and uh, the fact that they were plain clothes means that, to the best of our knowledge, everything we've heard from, um, they were more than likely SAS members. So if that if that's I, I don't know to, to me personally, it felt like that was their training kicking in, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, wow, well, okay, is this is this the first port of call for when they encounter someone who is remotely suspicious, uh, and how many civilians and how many you know good everyday people have been accosted like this in places like Afghanistan or Iraq where they don't have, you know, lawyers who help them out for free like we find ourselves with now. Um, you know, they don't have a, a media who's going to probably listen to them and tell the West <laughs> what, what happened. Yeah. What, what, what was the media response to those assaults? <sighs> it was it was varied. I, I was not personally not too happy with it. <laughs> Uh, a lot of it was pro-military and just kind of... I felt dressed us up to look like just hippie protesters who don't have a clue and kinda, who deserve what we got. That was a big thing for me. Um, yeah, it, we, we would have rather the media focused on, you know, what questions these raises about the nature of the SAS and what they're actually doing overseas. But instead it was like, oh, look at these silly protesters compromising national security and all the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, I that did not go to my agenda, let's just say, the media response. Um, the social media response was, was kind of similar. You know, we had a lot of people... It, it was varied. A lot of people supporting us saying, yep, I wish more people were doing this stuff. Thanks for putting yourselves on the line. You know, sorry for what you went through. Thanks for trying to highlight what's really going on behind closed doors. Other people were like... <laughs> I remember one direct quote, you could have been shot and we wish you had. Um, so it's, it's a broad spectrum of, of response from social media and from 
you know, people you talk to on the street who find out you're, you know, you're involved in that situation. 2014 was not the first time peace activists had trespassed onto the island. I asked Simon and Jess about their 2010 protest, the first time protesters gained access to the secretive training base Swan Island, just one hour out of Melbourne. Yeah, well, we it was um, uh, it was in Holy Week of, of 2010, so the lead up to, to Easter, and uh, there were uh, I, I guess we were all Christians and, and wanting to enact something of that story, um, and so we we got into the base. We deliberately um, blocked the the gate inside um, the facility so that we wouldn't be impeding golfers or any other um, folks who might want to get onto the island for other purposes. Uh, but we blocked the military gate and then. With our colleagues holding aside, based closed, war well, out of order, which was, was fantastic. A beautiful pun, love it still. And <laughs> um, yeah, and then two of us actually went inside the base um, and and got as far as we could, where we um, which which was were very much too, wanting it? to. It was yeah, just Jess and I. Um, we got inside the base and uh, we're wanting to, I guess, in some sense, disrupt in the same way that Jesus did in the temple in the the lead up to Easter. Um, to disrupt that unjust system. Mm. Um, and so we were going to turn over some tables, but instead we found first um, the uh, power board to one of the sectors, uh, which we managed to switch off, and uh, then secondly, a satellite dish, uh, which was about seven metres, and uh, on that was a, a large emergency stop button, which we um, which we pressed under the uh, understanding that this was an emergency that needed to be stopped. Yeah, so very much our action was about disruption, and I think that's been lots of the uh, spirit in which we've we've acted. This isn't about a symbolic protest. This isn't about a media um, grab, but this is actually about um, actions that seek to disrupt the day-to-day business of our military and particularly the spiky end of the SAS and, and the others that work on Swan Island. Mm. So penalties-wise, we, we, we went to court, we were charged with trespass, um, uh, which Commonwealth offence, it's it's not a huge uh, offence, but um, we were charged with Commonwealth trespass and were um, basically explained our reasons to the, the magistrate and the magistrate seemed to be quite understanding of that and decided in the end to, um, to dismiss our charges under um, Section 19B, which allows them to basically discharge us without, uh, without any penalty. So uh, it was immediately after court then, uh, on the high of that, that um, that a whole group of us, about fifty or sixty of us, actually went back to the base immediately after court, uh, where and then nine people decided decided that they would block the gate, uh, blockade the gate, um, to continue that uh, that disruption of business as usual. So there was actually quite a large group of you. Just just for a minute or so, can you just give us an idea of who the people were who got involved with you and maybe what their backgrounds were? Why did they all come together and travel down to, uh, you know, a few hours out of Melbourne to do this protest? There were a range of folks involved and the trade and left movement from Geelong came along and some some other Christians from around the state came along and a range of other folks we've been involved with, with other anti-war stuff in Melbourne came along. So in those of us who got arrested there, I think there were a couple... Uh, from country Victoria, there were a few identified as socialists, there were quite a few of us identified as Christian. Um, there's a friend who who's you know wouldn't identify as a, a, either. 
Um, so there were a range of us um, who got arrested in that that nine, and I think that was we'd started with an affinity group action that was very closed and unannounced. Um, we then, when we went to court, and then that afternoon went went back to the base. Um, that was our first gathering where we'd had a public gathering outside Swan Island. And it was a really powerful afternoon. I remember we rang my sister, who was working in northern Afghanistan at the time. Um, we we had connected with the Afghan Youth Peace Volunteers and had started to use some of their stories. And so that was the first kind of experience of what a gathering might feel like at Swan Island. And it was off the back of that and, and again, the subsequent dismissal um, of the charges of everybody except for me because that was my second arrest and it seemed to the judge a little bit rich to dismiss my charges again given that I'd been back and committed the same offence. So what did the magistrate give you? It was something quite small. I can't actually remember whether it was a good behaviour bond. I think or... it was about a, a one-month good behaviour. It was some, some ridiculously small. Mm. It was about as small as he could give mm. as a penalty, yep. Right. But having experienced the kind of the energy of what an announced action might be and what it felt like to gather together in all our different traditions and strength of nonviolent resistance, off the back of that we we started planning annual peace convergences where we announced um, that we were going, that we um, invited people to come and, and do direct action at, at this Swan Island base and um, every year since then, we've had a gathering at Swan Island where we seek to continue to dig into our own uh, understanding about the wars and Australian militarism and the dirty wars that we're involved in and how that connects to, to Swan Island. And we do some work there. We do some work really trying to improve our own direct action practice. And then we, we go and also do some actions. Who may know about the anti-war movement might say, that the actions in 2010 and since were a waste of time and taxpayers' What would money. you say to them? Uh, yeah, I, I often think uh, when we have uh, lots and lots of police turn up uh, to our demonstrations, I often agree with them, actually. <laughs> this is a terrible waste of police resources for uh, the the actual actually bad things that are going on, considering the bad things that are going on in uh, the community. Yeah, and you know the one point six trillion dollars spent on our military. Now, last some people, year, you know, that might be somewhat of a waste of resources as well, and so we we're just trying to get in the way of that. And just going back to your earlier comments, Jessica, about the lack of resources in social services, would you say that's since we've been fighting these wars, do you think it's gotten easier or harder for people seeking social services to find funding? What I've noticed in the last few years is a very sustained attack on our whole fabric of, of community well-being and the sharing of resources around whether it be social security, health, education. But we haven't seen a same scrutiny or reducing of funding on our military and in fact there seems to be almost a taboo about challenging how much we're spending on the military and in fact how how incredibly conflated lots of our aid has got with military. And I think it's a real that's that's the telling issue that we're actually not scrutinizing um and challenging what we're we're spending on the military so if one of our listeners was in the room with you now and they had not done any anti-war protesting or maybe haven't felt like doing it since 2003 would you encourage them now or sometime in the near future to get involved and why should they 
All the other movements got stacks of people involved. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that at its very basic level, the anti-war movement says no to our government killing in our name. Um, we are continuing to kill people overseas and the, the, the simplicity of the anti-war movement, um, which I think is its strength, is that we stand against... Uh, the killing of others, um, particularly in the way that that we're doing it now. So I think it's an opportunity to say no to death and yes to life. Well, you say simplicity, but it's a bit more complex, isn't it? I mean, you've got ISIS and you know Islamic State and militants in Somalia and Pakistan who hate us for our way of life. Is it really that simple? They probably hate us for what we've been doing since 2001, actually, because we have bombed and extrajudicially killed many, many people across their nations. And I think that it's very fair to say that actually the way that we've responded, we being the West, um, since 2001 has actually created a space in which organisations like ISIS have been able to have the ideological space to flourish. Okay, so it's a few years down the road and the Swan Island Peace Convergence and the other peace movements around Australia have been somewhat successful and we've now cut military spending and we're no longer entrenched with the US. What kind of Australia do you think we can build together if we're no longer putting our resources into these things? Is it a dark future where we're no longer secure and not sure of our place in the world? Uh, I, I hope not. Uh, my suspicion is possibly, but <laughs> but no. Look, I, I think the the possibility is that uh, actually it depends which way around that happens. I think uh, if we if we lose our paranoid fear, which and and like largely our, our fears are paranoid. Um, we we've invaded a whole lot of countries over the last thirty forty years. Um, no country has uh, even. Uh, indicated an, an interest in, in invading ours. Uh, so lots of our fears, I think, are, are deeply unfounded. And, and if we can get past those, then perhaps we can start to f- focus on some of the uh, sorts of priorities that will see us not just um, care for ourselves here in Australia, but care for our regional neighbours, care for West Papua and for what's happening there, care for Indonesia and some of the inc- incredible poverty uh, and incredible injustice that's going on there um, and actually see ourselves um, not just as an isolated island nation that can insulate ourselves from the rest of the world, but a, a regional player and uh, and uh, one that can um, share our resources with a whole broad range, because that those sorts of relationships are what will make um, us secure. Uh, if if we just concentrate on kind of barricading ourselves uh, with guns, then that that's the only time you'll feel <laughs> you'll never feel secure, because mm. um, you're you're waiting for someone to attack you. This has been the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on the Wondery Lands, Melbourne, broadcast on the community radio network right across Australia. You can contact us by emailing Radioactive Show dot the number three cr at gmail.com if you'd like more info on the swan island peace convergence you can search the web all links will be provided on radioactive's facebook page thanks to simon jess and sam for your contributions in part two of the show we'll hear more from them as well as from on the ground at a non-violent blockade of swan island that took place in february 2016 also, I'd like to give a big thanks to Michaela and Jem from the Radioactive team for helping me put my first show together. 
genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing whitefellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network.